This week on the Managing Remote Teams podcast. My team is all introverts. How do I how do I get them to engage in these meetings? They don't say anything, so I just call on them, which of course increases the anxiety of going to these remote meetings that you're going to be called on to, to share your opinion at, at any given point. And so we do a lot of things like mm-hmm. we have built into range meetings. We have a spinner, and so it shows everyone, and then we have a check-in round where you spin the spinner, and then everyone gets a chance to share how they're doing. If we ha- we're discussing a topic, and it's a few people. If I notice that no one's saying anything, sometimes I'll set a timer and say, hey, I'm going to give you two minutes, just think about this question, and then we'll use the spinner to go around the room and everyone will share what was surprising or any insights you had. And I I find that puts a lot of introverts more at ease where they have a little bit of time to think about it before responding. And they know that they're going to have to respond. It's pretty mind-blowing how many insights, really good insights come out of that where people might not willingly volunteer them if you were just like anyone have anything to share but if they know they're going to get called on what they want to share you are listening to the managing remote teams podcast the show taking a kind cool-headed and fair look at remote teams i'm the host luke Shermer, and i've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade as a practitioner i'm speaking with experts on leadership strategic alignment and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted welcome 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 to the managing remote teams podcast today i am super excited to be speaking with the team from range.co i've got dan papias and gene Xu the CEO and CTO respectively. Let's start a little bit with Range itself. What is it exactly that inspired you to build this kind of a system down? So first off, thanks for having us. It's good to be here. An important topic, especially given you know the state of the world today. So fundamentally today, Range is a set of integrated communication tools that empower and strengthen teams. So we've built it specifically for the needs of today's world. So work is more complex, teams are more distributed, and people are seeing more purpose, seeking more purpose in their work. And so that's some of the underlying principles. And at the core is a product that allows for teams to do asynchronous check-ins. So it's a little bit like you're a, a virtual stand-up. Uh, we integrate with all the tools. So it's really easy to see your work and what you've got done. And then we have integrated team building components, which help build a sense of um, belonging and connection th- throughout that asynchronous process. And then Around that asynchronous core, we have um, synchronous meeting facilitation tools, goal set- setting, and then a team directory. So really, we're building a suite for you know remote work. When was the first moment that you started building something like this? Just in terms of timeline, is it directly after the pandemic started or no, earlier, so, wasn't it? So we founded the company quite a while ago. So as some background, Gene, I worked at Medium along with my co-founder, Jen. So Gene and I were in engineering and Jen was in people ops. And at that time, we were experimenting with alternative ways of managing the company, shall we say, and we saw the opportunity (laughs) for tooling. So we actually had some internal engineers working on some tools to help us um, coordinate. And that was really like where we started to have this idea of Winston Churchill said, we shape the buildings after they shape us. So if we build the software there after the software shapes us, like what would it look like to build a new class of software specifically designed to encourage the behaviors that we think are important in today's workplaces? So that became the the impetus for Range. We started in 2017 and did a bunch of product and customer discovery. We had early traction with remote teams. And then since the pandemic, obviously everyone's gone remote and the value prop of uh, remote oriented tooling has become you know very clear to everyone. <laughs> yeah, uh, to say the least, sure. Come March, 2020, how did things look as things started to heat up for you, I would assume? Mm-hmm. Gene, you joined after the pandemic, right? 
trying to remember. Yeah, I joined in the summer, a very different, from what I've heard mm -hmm. from you, pre-pandemic early days of range. Oh, is this the market? Some skepticism, I think after the pandemic and ever after everyone went remote, it was like, oh, clearly this is a huge pain point of like team alignment and team communication tools for remote teams. And yeah, I joined, I think in the summer of, of 2020. So right in the peak. Yeah. So I mean, pre-pandemic, we had customers, we'd been taking a lean approach. So we, we had, we, we've been working with development partners since day one, essentially. We had big names like Twitter quite early on. Yeah. To like Gina alluded to while there was like religion for people who saw the need for something like this, who cared about culture and cared about productivity and engagement and belonging. It wasn't a wildly held belief and it was a bit of an uphill battle, but you know, when everyone was forced into this remote world and many of them hadn't done remote before just like the pain was just amplified so the, the need for a new way of working a new way of coordinating was much more you guys mentioned alignment specifically so which of the features that most dig into that or what what seems mm -hmm. to help the most is it the uh, the goal setting or is it the async check-ins yeah. how do you think about that so async check-ins is really the core and if you think about what alignment means it's not just about it's not just a like a cognitive thing of like information it's a, a feeling like we all feel aligned right so it's feeling like you're in the same boat so checking in creates a habit it's a rhythm we have these culture building components which help you actually feel like a team so even if you're working on disparate work streams you you feel like you're all contributing to a greater whole and then it provides visibility into the work that's going on which helps you understand how your work fits into the bigger picture and then the goal setting is a bit more about the north star and helping have a sense of purpose and tying your day-to-day -day work to an organizational objective and even when in many companies who are doing okrs or high level goal setting it's often very hard to connect day-to-day -day work to that goal so the range is designed to make that easier i think a lot of times people think of the work getting done and then the connectedness and the feeling of being on a team as separate things and so they'll have project management tools and that's where the work gets done and then they'll Okay, every quarter be like, oh, we need to do something team building related and then pay an external party to run a cooking event or something over Zoom. They're like, okay, we checked the box, like we did the team building or the kind of social connectedness part for this quarter. Can we get budget for next quarter? And I think the unique part about range is all integrated. So you do your async check-in and then you answer your team building question that then you can go ahead and read everyone's answers. So what about the decision-making component of alignment, like group decision-making? Is that is that when the teams go and define their North Star metric, or how, how do you see yeah. customers doing that? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think the way we think about Range's role in that is about building the foundation. So about building foundational context of what work is happening and what needs are emerging in the organization, but then also the foundational relationships. So. Imagine you're in an office, you come up the elevator, start your day, you make eye contact with Gene across the office, you go over to the, the coffee kitchen, make a coffee and have a chat with someone. All these little moments, like these really informal ad hoc belonging cues is the term, mm. and they're just a way of re reinforcing the relationship. So range takes over some of the responsibility of those belonging cues, which helps you believe that you're on the same side, you're on the same team, and that you're like in the, part of the same tribe. It's like very based to human instincts. So then when you go into these situations of having to make a decision or have a, a synchronous conversation over video chat to discuss some you know, nuanced strategy, you have that foundation. Whereas if you come in cold, it's just very hard to get into the flow and into the, that, that cr creative state if you're feeling disconnected and essentially unsafe from a psychological point of view. I think people often think that that sense of belonging is much they kind of default to thinking that okay remote teams it's much harder to build that you need to spend time in person i think one thing we've seen is that's not always necessarily true like we we ask a team building question every monday that's like 
how are you? How was your weekend? And you can upload images. And so we get to see like pictures of people's picnics, their living rooms that they're painting, just like all the things they've been doing. They share broadly with a team if you were in an in-person office and weren't doing that with such intentionality. And we also yeah. get to see, of course, people's pets and kids and all sorts of more personal elements of our lives um, on, over yeah. Zoom as well. Yeah, I think the worst version of remote work is it's in incredibly sterile. You're isolated, you're alone. The only interactions you have with other humans are transactional, approve this ticket or assign this this task. And that's not going to lead you to make good creative, good decisions. You're not going to get the most out of people. That's fine if you're running a factory, but we're doing creative work, which requires novelty and you know inspiration. So we think a lot about how do we create the conditions where you can actually have these like higher functioning interactions. So what about working with developers in terms of, I guess, these cues, in particular, this connection, I think, because uh, I, I myself am, am pretty much an introvert. I think a lot of developers also tend to tend more in that into that mm -hmm. direction. How, how do you get that in a way so that it doesn't feel, let's say, Contrived. imposed, but at the same time, people do feel like yeah. they can join in? Yeah, we yeah. find that the async elements really do speak to people who may not be in an in-person office, the loudest person in the room, like having async check-ins where you can add more context about how you're doing. We also do a lot of optional game times, things like that, where you can join, but if your head's down in something, you don't have to join or a lot of like audio only syncs. So a lot of different ways to cater to people who have different preferences. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty extreme introvert as well. And so like uh, almost all my one-on-ones are like audio only, or I'll go for a walk. And I actually find that it helps me pay attention to what people are saying more than just, I have to look straight at the screen because this person is like expecting me to be paying attention, not having to worry about what I'm, what facial expression I'm, I'm making. Yeah. yeah, I'm also massively introverted. And I think the, <laughs> the thing that we don't realize is that introverts still want human connection. It's just difficult. Mm -hmm. And the, the, so how do we make it easier for them? And early on, actually, we saw, we did some studies with people self-identifying as introvert versus extrovert. And the introverts engaged more on the, the team building features than extroverts. And the hypothesis was that the extroverts have their social needs fulfilled elsewhere because they're able to seek it intentionally. Whereas the introverts don't have as many opportunities to to find mm -hmm. this connection, so they, we're creating this easier way of connecting. Actually, so I think it actually speaks well to a, a developer audience. The way that we run meetings also really is well liked by introverts because I think one th I've been running these like effective meeting sessions, and one thing that people often bring up is, "Oh, my team is all introverts. How do I how do I get them to engage in these meetings?" And they'll say they don't say anything, so I just call on them, which of course increases the anxiety of going to these remote meetings that you're going to be called on to, to share your opinion at, at any given point. And so we do a lot of things like mm -hmm. we have built into range meetings. We have a spinner, and so it shows everyone, and then we have a check-in round where you spin the spinner, and then everyone gets a chance to share how they're doing. If we we're discussing a topic and it's a few people if i notice that no one's saying anything sometimes i'll set a timer and say hey i'm going to give you two minutes just think about this question and then we'll use the spinner to go around the room and everyone will share what was surprising or any insights you had and i, I find that puts a lot of introverts more at ease where they have a little bit of time to think about it before responding and they know that they're going to have to respond it's pretty mm -hmm. mind-blowing how many insights really good insights come out of that where people might not willingly volunteer them if it, you were just like, anyone have anything to share, but if they know they're gonna get called on, they'll think of what they wanna share.
Yeah, I think also creating other opportunities to surface things you want to talk about. That's another power of async is that it allows people to engage in the on a time frame that's comfortable for them. So if they think of a meeting topic ahead of the meeting or even after the meeting to bring to the next one, that's that should be totally fine. You don't have to be on the spot thinking like, what, what should I talk about? Because some people in that context, it's just, they freeze, it's like deer in the headlights, really speaking to different types of communication and you know, and also information processing. Some people prefer to go away and think about things and come back 24 hours later with their feedback. So how do we build organizations where we actually cater to all these different types of types of people? Dan, you mentioned experiments. What was what was your approach? Is it more kind of structured customer development? Was it surveys? Was it how how are you how are you going about doing that? Out of curiosity. Yeah. yeah, early on it was it was it was all of the above, and we had a psychology advisor. So she was an organizational psychologist who who worked with us, and we would obviously working with companies with their consent and understanding we would look at some of the data that they were sharing and what, what insights could we take away from that. And there's some pretty cool things that came out of it, which we haven't productized yet, but in the future would be really awesome to revisit. Because I think when an organizational psychologist goes into a, a company, they tend to do surveys, people so self-reported and it's very time consuming. So what we found is some of the data engine range could provide insights in a very short amount of time that would take multiple hours of interviews. And then we just did, did a lot of user feedback and user testing. So so, so the, the tool, to be clear, the tools we were building at Medium was very different to, to range as it sounds to today, range. but it was, it was the principles that were interesting. It was mm-hmm. that the software provides architecture and that architecture can support organizational behaviors. In an organization, Lawrence Lessig talks about this actually, in I think it's the New Chicago School of Economics, but that behavior is modulated by forces of laws, norms, markets, and architecture. And in modern workplaces, so many of our behaviors are norms, like name channels in Slack this way, send an email on Monday with a report, um, don't do this, do that. And it's really hard for people to remember, and it's really hard to onboard, and it's really hard to sustain. So if you think of software as a type of architecture that can actually facilitate behaviors, you can make lives a lot easier for everyone and make organizational behaviors more resilient. So that was like one of the key takeaways. So we had a team directory that made it very easy for people to reallocate their the time. So I'm going to spend 20% on this project this month. And that made it very easy for Gene and I as like managers to know what people were working on. So I think that was like the key takeaway and that filters into the range product. When we were working at Medium together, we were in the office, but it's really important to have a place people can go to learn about people when they're working remotely because you don't get to be like, oh, that's the person I see across the office. Now I need to ask them for something for this project I'm working on. Let me, they, I, they've smiled at me a few times. So I, I know that they're mm-hmm. a friendly person. So actually when Dan and I were still at Google, we actually had probably the counter example to the type of interactions we're trying to build where like I had uh, been trying to get a, some code committed into the code base that Dan was a tech lead for. And I think I was probably Gmail. one year <laughs> Gmail front end and I was on a separate team. I was trying to work on a Gmail lab that I had started. I don't remember exactly the interaction, but I think it was just purely through code review where Dan had was probably fielding a lot of external teams trying to put code in the, in the Gmail code base. Mm-hmm. And I think he said something just like probably slightly negative. And I remember telling my coworker that I wanted to TP his office because I was like so offended by this negative interaction we had that was completely async. I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know anything about him. I guess we think of remote work as like the last two years, but teams were working remotely. He was probably, we were on the same campus. We were just like probably a few buildings apart and just like never interacted in person. Building some of that positive sentiment, like async foundation of trust so that when things like this happen, you have some sense of like, 
oh, this is like a human with a life outside of work and probably has a reasonable reason for responding the way they did, which is just, it's just a very funny yeah. beginning to our working together because now it's vastly different. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a, an important lesson there, which is it goes to this transactional state of work and like for me, I was just getting mm -hmm. all these change requests and the only context I had in the change request was an LDAP name and the LDAP name didn't seem human to me. So I would be, I would respond <laughs> to these change requests in a very transactional way. We were getting inundated with tons of people wanting to integrate with Gmail and it was causing some like technical debt issues. So I was probably like shutting it down quite quickly. But over my time at Google, I actually, um, I started using, we had an internal team directory at Google more. So when I get a, a code review from someone, I would go off to the team directory, look at them, see their photo, the, some of the history, and it would like humanize them a bit more. And then I'd come back and I'd actually be much more reasonable and friendly. Um, without, so it wasn't, I wasn't intentionally being mean. It's just, I, I was I'm curious if that was before or after name. we had that interaction. Was, I think it was much later, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when I, was, when I was on Google+, Plus, I was on the infrastructure team where we had 400 people contributing to our code, code base. So we were defending the code base against 400 seemingly random people. And that okay. sets you up for a lot of conflicts like us and them. So by humanizing people through the tools, and I think Slack did this really well early on, you can actually change some of how you interact with people because you know you humanize the recipient and then that can like, increase the level of discourse. So yeah. in range, profile photos everywhere, people's moods, and you can hover over and see like some background, when's their birthday, what their pronouns, like where do they live? All this seemingly superficial context that has nothing to do with work is really important um, in helping frame the conversations. Yeah, and Luke, you were asking about engineers and who are, tend to be more introverted. And I, I think it's especially important for engineers because if you just default to like code reviews, right? Like code reviews are super transactional. Usually it's people think that their main job is to point out the things that are wrong, but like very rarely do you get comments like, hey, you did a really great job on this code change. Like this section looks great, right? Like you just get the kind of what could be better. And so I think without some intentional, like positive sentiment building, <laughs> it can be pretty, pretty hard to be like, oh, this person really doesn't like me or this is so challenging. Code reviews is another good example that can often go off the rails for many reasons. And when we think about code as architecture, GitHub pull request templates are really valuable, right? So we have one which nudges you to like, why are you making this change? Where should the reviewer start? Are there any tickets or external context that they should be aware of? And then we have a funny one, which is a GIF of how does this change make you feel? So just by <laughs> entering, you can divert some of the, the things that often go wrong with pull requests of like, why the hell are you making this change? Right. I don't understand. I don't have any context about this change. And then also just make adding a bit of fun to it as well. So speaking of context, how, how do your customers use range to build context as they're going about their team interactions. You <laughs> Gene, you shared about how you use range to manage. Maybe that's like a good like concrete yeah. example. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I start my day in range. I share my plan. So I'm not a very like getting things done. Like I don't have a, a separate to-do list. So I use range as my, what I'm going to do that day. And then it's nice because then it's communicated externally and then by the afternoon when I'm feeling in a slump then I can just check on what I said I would do that morning and kind of get back to it but then after I check in see what everyone else has said uh, maybe later once everyone has checked in first I'll see all their answers to the team question which today was like how are you how was your weekend so I get to see how everyone's weekend was we can also really easily see everyone's main focus for the day that'll give me a bit of ambient context if I know oh this engineer is working through this one feature usually people will, will 
integrate or bring in the, they'll attach their like Asana ticket to uh, the check-in and then they'll add some context of like hoping to get this done today. And so that makes it my job easier. So as we're planning for you know, next week or next cycle, I don't have to go around to every engineer and say, hey, what's the status on this thing? I feel like I'm nagging them or micromanaging them. Every other Thursday, I sit down with the product manager and designer, and we are able to piece together from like range check-ins, like where everyone is on their projects. And then that makes it easy for us to plan for um, the next cycle. And then we also have team dashboard where, uh, because we, everyone checks in with their mood every day. So green being like, good to go, yellow being like a little bit iffy and red is pretty much like I'm in crisis. So we can see over time, a two week period of the team's mood trends, half the team's yellow and a few reds here or there, like that's not great. And so I'll check in with people during one-on-ones, maybe bring it up in a team meeting. Okay, is it the work or is it external stuff? Either way, let's figure out how we can alleviate some of the, the pressure, maybe think about cutting scope or moving out a deadline further. So that's one of the, the most useful things that I use kind of day-to-day with range. Hmm. Mostly Jira, I think. Yeah, Jira, Slack, I've used different, like speaking of async check-ins, I remember at a tried uh, for a while tried uh, kind of a slack bot to to mm-hmm. do stand-ups or something but the thing that was missing actually what you brought up gene was really interesting the thing that was missing for me was first of all the relationship of what the person wrote in the daily stand-up to their daily goal and then yeah. also how that mapped to what the group was doing or trying to achieve and that's we tried for a while just completely canceling stand-ups and doing it only async but then mm-hmm. That was the, <laughs> the kind of weak spot, let's say. Right. Um, yeah. What I've heard from teams who do that is usually that all gets funneled into like a Slack channel. And then that's just like this black hole where no one reads it. Everyone just mm-hmm. <laughs> puts in there, you know, what I did yesterday, what I'm planning to do. And then it just no response, no reactions. And that kind of defeats the purpose of a standup where you feel that's a good opportunity for you to tell people they're blocked. But if they never read your check-in, like that's, <laughs> they're not going to know that you're blocked and range has something thing that's called flags and so you can flag when you're blocked or there's things that need discussion and then those things bumped up for higher visibility so like they just don't get lost and then you can also slice it to see okay let me see check-ins for everyone on this team or everyone um, that I work with and sometimes I'll look at the whole team rather the whole company rather than just the team depending on what you're looking for you can look at different views so tools like Jira and Asana are definitely essential and they're great for building a backlog and kind of understanding where you are in the, the grand scheme of things. But it's pretty hard to get a sense of in the moment what's happening and what's changing and what's mm-hmm. stuck. It doesn't really show you that delta. And if you think about what happens in a standup, it's often you get that d- data point every day. I'm working on ticket 451. And and mm-hmm. you, then you're sensing in the background, wait a sec, is that, isn't that the third day in a row that they're working on this ticket? So you, and, and then you have to make the meaning out of that, which is this person's stuck. And that doesn't need to happen in, you know, like in person either that can happen asynchronously so range really surfaces the sort of the deltas and the, the and how work is changing and moving through these phases and then there's a lot of work that happens outside jira so you have calendar events you may be doing interviews there's google docs confluence work is spread over so many places so range brings that all together and maybe the reason that ticket isn't moving forward is this person's been sick for three days or maybe it's that they've had a lot of interviews 
So surfacing that context is really valuable for managers. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that the stand-up Slack bots don't do is they don't integrate into other tools, like range check-ins. If you flag anything, it'll show up in the meetings. So if we have a team meeting, it'll share all the flags that haven't been resolved. We can review them there and anything that needs to be discussed can be pulled over to the agenda. So just much more integrated. It's not just like check-ins as a side thing and then this is where the work gets done like it's all part of the same system so i guess the key thing is that it's pulling together everything really so that at least you've got yeah this overall view uh, and yeah one of our customers said they said that jira is a place to go to see the state of a project ranges to get where you go to see a state of a person she says state of a person and a team yeah that's that's definitely interesting uh you could maybe get in an office setting a little bit right you kind of go to where this team is sitting and you get a sense of, oh, everyone seems really low energy or someone seeming really upset. But with everyone, you don't see them unless you're in meetings and you really have no idea. If you don't have a tool like Range or some way to check in on folks async, or I guess you could be in meetings all the time, which is also not great, but you wouldn't have a way to know people are having a rough day or like they just went through something really frustrating. How do you think about balancing async and sync correctly? both within your company or within the product. Don't get us wrong, like we think synchronous communication is incredibly important. We just think that's historically the default. So mm-hmm. it's more of a push to get people to go asynchronous and synchronous is a crutch because it can be easy. But there's certain things where async is going to be really slow. So anywhere there's like nuanced conversations, nuanced discussions and making also like deep team building and emotional connection. You, you, you can go a long way with some of the async tools. In-person is really where it's at. So we do think synchronous is important. I think the reality of the modern workplace with distributed teams and people needing flexible schedules is that it's just the amount of time when you can have synchronous time is so much shorter. So we, we, you have to optimize it. Yeah, so we, we really think about like how can we maximize the the value of that time you spend together and move everything that doesn't need to be in that synchronous outside that meeting. Yeah, we'll often do things like, say there's some company announcement, right? Dan or Jen might share something by email, the more just transactional, hey, this is what's going on. But if they think that it's something that people might have a reaction to, like I might check in with people in one-on-ones that week and just say, hey, did you read Dan's email? Do you have any thoughts or concerns about it? And so like pairing async with more of the status update and then following up with synchronous, checking on people, how are they feeling, their reactions, that can be really useful. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then we're not spending that time in the one-on-one, like sharing all the updates, like with each person, just like trying to use that synchronous time a bit more efficiently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Fabulous. Do you have any particular suggestions in terms of team building? I, I guess you mentioned the thing, the image at the beginning of the week, or just team building yourselves within your company? What works in a way that that, that everyone feels comfortable with? I'm pretty enthusiastic about better meetings. And I think that's one of the areas that people have gotten used to bad meetings, bad <laughs> inefficient meetings, I'll say. And I think that could be a place where if you're a facilitator for a meeting, familiarizing yourself with the tool, setting it up, using the spinner, that could be a really good place to just like immediately way better experience, right? Like one half hour, one one hour meeting where you have an opening round, where you have an icebreaker, just like checking in on how people are doing and then one at the end and then having more structure in between where you can take notes. I think that could be like, choose your worst meeting and run it on range (laughs) because it'll be a night and day difference. 
Yeah. The meta point there is that there's a lot of ways of engaging and growing and building, but there's also many work processes that are just so poor that they are actively making people feel less engaged and less happy and more burnt out. So often removing some of those things first is probably like the the best yes, bet. Sorry. And if people are in eight hours of meetings a week and they're not feeling that they're worthwhile, they're not feeling listened to, they're not feeling engaged in those meetings, they're going to become less happy with work, less connected to their colleagues and any team building you do is wasted because it's just, it's like a bandaid. Fixing your team processes is step number one and building a cadence of communication, getting into the rhythm, and then you can build on top of that to, to get better connection, better camaraderie, and then you get a bunch of the benefits. That's great. Just on the spinner, how exactly does it work? Do you put what the values are in there so you can put anything you want, like people's names? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Configured it's, ones or? So <laughs> If you imagine, it's, it's, and it's also a bit silly, right? It's designed to be silly. You have attendees in a meeting which get synced to your Google Calendar. So we bring in names and photos. And then it's literally, you press a button and it spins, who's it going to stop on? So it's like the Wheel of Fortune. And, it, and, it, and it's <laughs> meant to be silly. the bottle almost, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not in the work context. But, and, and the reason is, it, it's a bit of levity. It stops one person going around the room and like randomly picking person. It's, are you the person that's going to get left to the last every single time? Are you like super anxious about the call order and it, it's just a way of just making it a little bit easier to have everyone engage and and, and get a, a moment to speak and a lot of the evidence suggests that if you speak early on in the meeting you're likely to speak later so that has a bunch of positive impacts on inclusion for people of different backgrounds and personality it also takes the onus off the facilitator to remember who has spoken so if you were to go around the room in a physical room it'd be pretty straightforward but on a zoom room you have to keep track of who's gone or then sometimes people do this thing where they're like whoever just went, like call on the next person. And then everyone has to keep track of who's gone and who hasn't gone. And then sometimes someone gets left out and then they, they make up stories about why they were excluded or like someone whose name is maybe a little bit difficult to pronounce, like no one calls on them. And then they're like always last and just like removes a lot of that, um, that those challenges. Yeah, yeah. I like alphabetic, basically. Get everyone on the call to just do, you know, by first name. <laughs> so then just... But then it's the same every time. So you got like poor Andrew True. is like going to be <laughs> every single day. And Andrew's ready. And, like, and, and Zebedee exactly. is always last. So. <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah. And then some of the other things we have, we know we have a topic timer, so you can make sure that overrun certain topics, you can shut them down, you can track mm -hmm. action items and notes. And as Jean said earlier, you can bring in work from the asynchronous check-ins, so you can review, essentially review people's stand-ups or certain flagged items. Yeah, I've been running um, panels with the meeting tool. I had one one panelist who, you know, the first time she saw it and I clicked the spinner, she's like, whoa, can we <laughs> stop and talk about how cool that spinner is? I need this for all my meetings. Yeah, I mean, it's just a simple thing, but like going around the room and calling on everyone, just, yeah, it's just like an unnecessary piece of friction. We just remove that. Yeah, no, that's simple, but very effective. So. Where do you suggest people go to find out a bit more about Range? So you can go to www.range.co. It's a self-serve product, so feel free to sign up, free up to 20 users. And if you would like to try the premium version, happy to extend a coupon to the listeners of managing remote teams. So we'll include the, the details in the show notes. Great. And then, yeah, reach out and talk to our team. We're always on the intercom chat. <laughs> Great. Thank you for coming to chat today <laughs> and sharing your insights and talking about the platform and your journey. So cool. it's been a blast. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Managing Remote Teams podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts and reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn with any feedback or thoughts that you have for a future show.